Welcome back, friends. Welcome back. It's time for another episode. A zombie episode. Zombie movie. Zombie movies, yeah. World War Z, the movie, versus... Shaun of the Dead. Yeah, I thought Matt was like, Shaun of the Dead, is this the... Are these the two we want? He was like, do we want another serious zombie movie? Like, excuse me, Shaun of the Dead is a serious zombie movie? So... Well, I mean, more of the... More in line with what World War Z was trying to be. Mm. Okay, so the reason we chose Shaun of the Dead, the reason I chose Shaun of the Dead, and Matt agreed with me, was I like a movie like Blazing Saddles or Robin Hood Men in Tights, a commentary on an entire class of movies. A meta zombie movie. Yeah, but to me, Shaun of the Dead is a commentary on zombie movies written by the kinds of people that love zombie movies. So it's a passion project, which as established is our favorite type of movie. And it's a smart commentary, which is also our favorite type of movie. So Shaun of the Dead felt like a natural one to discuss in comparison to World War Z. Which does not feel like a smart commentary. Um, or a passion project. Or a passion project. Um, but we'll get to that in just a minute. So, hi, I'm Rachel. And I'm Matt. Welcome to the Strange and Beautiful Book Club. So we watched, we read, we read the World War Z book. Yeah. And really enjoyed that. That was a passion project. And we decided, well, we're, we're doing more themed stuff. So we'll read the book and we'll cover the movie. Yeah. And so a lot of our upcoming episodes will be uh, pairs of books and movies. And maybe like multiple film adaptations, whatever. Yeah. World War Z, the movie, felt like, eh, I don't know, do we want to do it? Yeah. Is it worth doing an episode on the World War Z movie? Right. Because as an adaptation of the book, it's lacking. Well, we had a moment. But we had a moment. So it took us two sessions to get all the way through World War Z because we got to the part and I hope you've seen the movie, but we got to the part where he's in Korea and his phone rings and it wakes up the zombies. And that whole section of the movie is so challenging for me to make it through that we just we just turned it off. Okay, we're going to get back to this. Um, kind of like how I fell asleep during RoboCop 2014, except we just literally turned the movie off. And... After that, we were having a discussion about how this kind of is the best way for them to have adapted the format of the book. So in the book, it's a... Oh, 
I wouldn't say the best, best. It is but it is, is a, a reasonable. It is a reasonable way because the book is formatted as this guy is going around from place to place to place, finding out information and backstory about all the different sections of the zombie war. The right. revelation, the great panic, the... Right, and his, yeah. his job in the book, what he was hired to do was essentially historical research. Yeah. He was gathering lots of details from a large spread of people who had survived through the zombie war and, or I forget what they called it. Z war. They just called it Z war. Mm -hmm. And, and just accumulate these into a report for posterity. Yeah. And, and so he's going around having a conversation with lots of different people and just kind of digging back into their story to find relevant information that might be of use when you're trying to analyze the whole event right? Uh, later on. Yeah. And so that kind of feels like what we're setting up Brad Pitt's character to be. Jerry. 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 Yeah. Jerry. Um, Jerry the UN special ops investigator. Yeah. There is an extended cut of the World War Z movie. And I do wonder if maybe we should have watched the extended cut because at no point do we thoroughly explain who Jerry is at all. Right. We don't even know he's with the UN until like 45 minutes into the movie. We reference several times, oh, you talked to my friend Terry. Yeah. T-H-I-E-R-R-Y. You talked to Terry and he explained what I used to do. Yeah. Yep. Well, could you explain oh, that on screen? That'd be real fucking helpful. Maybe the viewer helpful. would like to know. Yeah, maybe the viewer would maybe like they, to know. Maybe they didn't want to, like, overly define it. You could have defined it at all. You don't have to overly right. define it, but you could have defined it fucking at all. This guy was so important, they sent a helicopter to pick him up individually. And I have no idea why. Because he just seems like a guy who's like, but why though? I mean, literally anybody could have done that. Although, I don't understand although, why he's special. From what I understand of military culture, having somebody that just still continues to say, yeah, but why, is a pretty outstanding, unusual feature. But he's feature. not military. He's like a UN researcher. We kind of know because the only real clue we get is when he is in Jerusalem and he's talking to Warmbrum Knight who is maybe the one and only character that we import from World War Z, the book. Well, he's talking to Gerald Lane. No, this right? is the one where he's talking about the ninth, the ninth man, or right. the tenth man. But I don't think that's Jürgen Warmbrun. Is it not? No, because they, they talk about Warmbrun. I don't know. It doesn't really but matter. They're talking about the Warmbrun report. It's his contact in, yeah. in Israel. Yeah. Right. This is the guy that came up with the wall... That he's the reason why Israel was prepared for the zombie outbreak because he believed the zombie outbreak was happening because it was his duty to believe the zombie outbreak was happening. And this is the part where the only real transferable knowledge is the 10th man idea. The idea that if, if nine people agree, then it's the duty of the 10th right, man to disagree. And that's a very, disagree. very close paraphrase from the book. Right. This is one of the few places where we're actually lifting dialogue from the book and dropping it. And I guess maybe they were like, well, we want to use this paragraph from the book. So let's just go ahead and call it World War Z. But this is the part where both you and I were like, okay, I get it. Like, this is the guy who's sort of our 
researcher. He's going place to place to figure this out. Right. Just I like kind of get it. Just like the interviewer in the books. Yeah. Jerry is going out and having conversations with lots of different people right. to find out what happened and dig up relevant details. Right. So, so that first, it can be analyzed later. I mean, okay. the first three quarters of the movie has so much potential. And I think what really gets to me is the inconsistent tension. It's we I as soon as I'm into the fact that this guy is I, I'm into the mystery. I'm into the mystery that this guy is solving. Where did this zombie outbreak come from? Where did it start? How did how did it spread like this? I'm into that. And then as soon as I'm like settled into that mystery psychological tension, we suddenly get a, oh, zombies are ramping up the wall outside Jerusalem and breaking into the city because these people are singing too loud. Or we're in Korea and his phone rings. Right, he and didn't wakes put his zombie. phone on he silent. He didn't put his phone on silent. Or at literally, he should have set a timer because within 20 minutes of his arrival at any given location, there was going to be a major outbreak that he was going to have to escape from. In the beginning, he has about 20 minutes in the car, and then there's an outbreak. And then they get in a, they get to the grocery store. They're there about 20 minutes, and his wife gets attacked. And then they go to the apartment building. They're there about 20 minutes, and then um, zombies arrive, and he has to run to the roof. And literally, the only place it doesn't happen is the ship. And yeah. anyway, and then the last quarter, when he finally figures out the, the revelation in the movie which has nothing to do with the book, which is the, um, if we just make ourselves really, really sick, the zombies won't give a shit about us. Matt kept going, all right, tell somebody, Jerry. Go ahead and tell somebody, right. Jerry, because he the, figures it out on the plane. When people are being foolish, it really bugs me. Yeah, well, because it's cheap tension. Right. It's cheap tension, because we know he's figured something out. Right, but so I'm like, not... okay, are you going to explain it to Segan, who is here with you? Yeah. Even just... Anyone. This is how I solve problems, too. Right. Oh, here's an idea. Let me get with somebody who can just bounce ideas back at me. Right. And just kind of speaking it out loud, just narrating the whole idea usually helps me expand on it and flesh it out. Right. Jerry, talk to Sagan about it. Yeah. Mm, Call Terry. Explain it to him. Yeah. And he does talk to Terry, and he's like... Hey Terry, find me a like medical research facility like CDC, WHO, whatever. Right. Um, well, what do you need this for? Uh, just do it. Just do it. I don't have time to explain. Right. That you know that number of words right there. He could have said, "I think the zombies ignore people when they're terminally ill." Yep. There you go. And then say, "Hey, hey Terry, uh, I have this. Here's my hypothesis." The yeah. zombies ignore people who are sick. Yeah. We should make some people sick and test it. Yeah. I want to test that like theory. Can you get like 20 yeah. teams on that? Yeah. You literally have communication with people around the globe. Can you please send this out? Let's get this shit tested. Because if he had died in that plane crash. Th- his revelation. would have been gone. Would have been lost. And isn't it. He's like a fucking cockroach. Every, he just keeps not he dying. He just keeps not dying in situations where he clearly should have died. If you want me to believe this plane crash, I need more than two people to survive, and I need those two people to not be the main characters. Right. 
Yeah. Bystanders. Um, bystanders. Okay. So what we had was they didn't believe they could make an intellectual zombie movie. That's what it feels like to me. They didn't believe they could make a mystery style zombie movie where this guy is simply going around and trying to solve the problem. They felt like they needed to include some of the, the zombie tropes. I'm in an enclosed space with zombies. I'm being chased up a stairwell with zombies. Zombies break into a place that I previously thought was safe. I'm sneaking past zombies that are currently dormant. Oh, but I made a really big loud noise. Even when we go to the World Health Organization, the, the WHO facility in there Wales. There were so many opportunities to execute this as with lots of psychological tension and action at the same time in an intelligent way. Yeah, I think what we need to do is give give studios permission to make smart movies. Yeah. It's okay to make a smart movie. It's okay to make a dumb movie. That was the whole premise of comedy in the late 90s. <laughs> little- <laughs> Ace Ventura. Ace Ventura, Little Nicky, um, Billy Madison, uh, Austin Powers. Literally, that was the premise of the late 90s comedy. George of the Jungle, one of my favorite movies. Absolutely love the entirety of Brendan Fraser's himbo phase. I'm not saying that they can't be entertaining and you can't make those two, but it is absolutely okay to make a smart movie. Like there's, there's a difference, for example. There's a difference between unintelligent and foolish. Yeah. I don't mind unintelligent movies. Yeah. Like just dumb movies. Yeah. Dumb, dumb but fun. Are, yeah, that's right. fine. But foolish movies. Mm-mm. Like, they literally should know better. Right. And they have demonstrated in other situations, like in this story, that for similar situations, they do know better. Yeah. Like, we find out they can call a specific phone in B-Wing of the World Health Organization facility. They can call the phone and make it ring. Right. Why don't you call the phone in the farthest room from where everybody needs to go? And just let it ring until all the zombies congregate in that area. Yep. Hey, how about that? How about that? And that would have been, there'd be a lot of action there. Yeah. There'd be a lot of movement and destruction and danger. But it would be a clever way for the characters to get through the area without without having to resort to right. like the up close and if that's not possible like if that's not loud enough to get everybody to the area you need them to go to you have cameras in every room you can plot a route and a hey, sequence of phone r- numbers to call hey just yeah. throwing this out there the entire building is made of windows they could have just walked around the exterior of the building to the closest room to where <laughs> they needed to go hey you could even break the window in the farthest area. Why so, didn't they get up on the roof? Uh, I don't know. I don't anyway. know because we don't know where in the three-story structure the vault is, you know. Yeah. So, I mean, I, okay. It's fine. I, I, there's just... I like movies that play with... Um, they play with what you've given me. I like a movie that you know what? You can create tension in a movie by just creating situations that you have to react to intelligently. 
And that's fine. And they had all of the they had all of the framework for that. We he knows a loud noise will attract all the zombies. That's what he uses at the end when he he like lets all the sodas fall out of the out of the machine. Right. And we Right. So we get examples of like after the cheap action tension has been like played with. Yeah. Then oh, now he's going to cleverly make use of knowledge of how to direct the zombies to different places. Right. And what was with the what I'm sorry. I just this is a very shallow criticism, but what was with Brad Pitt's hair? Why? Why do we do the weird, ugly, chin-length, greasy hair look ever? Ever. You can have longer hair that they pull back into a ponytail. It's fine. I don't care if the dude has long hair, but why do we do this like this is the worst haircut on any I'm sorry. I have never seen There was a phase. This wasn't even in that phase, though. But they did the same thing in Being Human. The main character could definitely have been. He is attractive. He could have been far more attractive if we hadn't done the chin-length, greasy hair look. I don't... You know you're going to have a character who is going to be on the run for like a week, right? Why give him that hairstyle? I just don't understand. And then they kick his family off the boat. What was the point of that? Yeah, that was excessive. That was excessive. That was there was. Oh, no- I guess that that was a commentary on the the military structure and how disconnected, like the bureaucracy of a like crisis military group. Yeah. Um, how much they're disconnected from the the humanity. I guess. I mean, once he figured this out, once he figured it out, did he get kicked off the boat, too, because they didn't need him anymore? Well, obviously, because we see him heading to Nova Scotia to be with his family. Yeah. 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 So, okay, to summarize, there was a lot of. There's a lot of cheap. Conflict. Yeah. Generated by. The characters making foolish decisions yeah. about how to deal with the zombies. Yeah. But I can see where they were going as an adaptation of the book where the main, the interviewer in the book is go- traveling around, interviewing lots of different people to dig up information. Okay. So in the movie adaptation, it's during the event rather than, you know, a follow-up historical investigation. Okay, so this guy is an investigator, an interviewer, whatever. He's traveling around during the crisis to collect information, which may be of use in resolving the crisis. But we don't really get much of that until, like, he gets to Korea and he's kind of asking them uh, leading questions. And then he gets to Israel and then we have this longer drawn out conversation. And then he makes his revelation like as they're leaving Israel. But then this like really bothered me throughout the entire rest of the movie is there were so many situations where he could have explained his hypothesis. Like we get to the WHO facility 
you're literally talking to medical experts. Yeah. Like these are medical researchers. You've this got is what they Ruth do. Nega. I mean, come on. Right? Just throw it out there. <laughs> yeah. What are you doing here? Oh, I have a hypothesis. Like I'm working with the UN on how to maybe I can figure something out to resolve this. I think the zombies ignore sick people. So I came here to find things that make people sick. Yeah. I'm not a medical guy. Uh, I'm just gathering information. What do you think? Oh, oh, and when he finally does explain it to them, like 20 minutes later, when they have to deal with the zombies after 20 <laughs> minutes. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. Uh, they're like, oh, yeah, yeah, there's, there's precedent for that. I could totally see that as an adaptive thing. Yeah. Cool, let's go in on this. So that's my main criticism of the movie is I can see where they were going as an attempt to adapt the style, the theme of the point of view character in the book to a more action movie. But then they have them not making good decisions. Well, it's like the, we, we introduce this character who is a he's an expert in communicative diseases. We send him out to Korea. Oh, yeah, the virologist. We literally get one line from him where he's like, Mother Nature is a serial killer. And I'm like, ooh, this character's cool. Like, I'm interested in seeing a buddy like Jerry and this guy. Right. You, you have to pay attention this. for the crumbs. Yeah. She leaves for the crumbs. Clues she that wants they are. to be found out. He's literally in it for like 10 minutes because he trips and shoots himself in the head. Why did you give him a gun? What? Who made that decision? Who was like, here's a really cool character, but we're literally, literally going to only have him in here to give him, give Jerry the one line that he needs to figure this all out. And then pff, we're just going to get get rid of him because we would figure it out too fast. Right? Why yeah. movies always have this one, not always, but it bothers me when movies have this one choice that was made by the production or the script writer or whatever that just what the fuck why even have him have him have a conversation on the boat then and then leave that would have accomplished the same task right like, without introducing like maybe this. have the virologist explain okay here's the kinds of information i'm looking for like i'm gonna be in the lab like doing like experiments on samples of things yeah more carefully than the lead guy at the WHO who like immediately cuts himself with the sample of oh my god this, okay yeah <laughs> but like have the virologist stay on the ship yeah and then they could be in communication he could right. communicate with him you from are, the world health organization i'm an expert in you know diseases whatever infectious diseases you're an expert in going out into the field and gathering information here's the kind of information i need yeah go out and bring it back to me. Yeah. Okay. Then you have him like give the the candid speech about you know Mother Nature and the crumbs and sometimes sometimes it's her weakness is what you thought was the greatest strength yeah. or whatever. Yeah. Well, here's why. Do you want to know why we don't have that guy like that? Why that wasn't part? Why? Because the original ending of the movie was completely different. So they oh, made really? the whole movie 
They made the whole movie. They screened it, and everyone was like, that was bad. It was, like, real, real bad. It was so bad. And they're like, oh, shit, that was so bad. So they actually went back and for seven weeks reshot the entire ending of the movie. So do you want to know what the original ending was? What was the original okay, ending? Okay, so we pick up everything from when he boards the plane in Jerusalem is new. That whole ending was recreated. Okay. Oh, the entire WHO scene? Yes, all of okay. it. Because originally he doesn't land at the World Health Organization. He lands in Russia. And he gets conscripted into service, fighting the zombies. And then, like, months pass... And he becomes like a seasoned zombie killer. And then he discovers that cold weather works as a weapon against the undead. And in the meantime, his wife is at the American refugee camp and she gets forced into a sexual relationship with another soldier in order to stay there and like continue being taken care of. And... Once he learns about his wife being forced into this sexual relationship, he boards and the cold weather is like hurts zombies. He boards a boat heading back to the U.S. And the film ends before he is reunited with his family. And he doesn't discover the vaccine for the zombie virus that he does in the final cut. And basically it just ends with his wife is in Florida being forced to use her body to secure like means her family's position yeah. yeah and him trying to get to her okay yeah that that would have been worse that would have been so much worse that would have been so much worse so i mean as a, if this was a salvage and this movie was extreme extremely successful this is another everything everywhere all at once situation where we're like the only people in the world that didn't love this movie and it made like 500 million dollars it's one of the highest grossing zombie movies ever oh i didn't realize that although it's telling that they never made a sequel yeah okay so I think we're done just throwing criticisms at the movie. Well, I, we started to talk about it, and I really think we didn't we didn't quite wrap it up. Is that this could have worked as a way of adapting the novel? Right. I, I yeah, I can see where they were going and mm -hmm. how it could have worked, but then they just threw in a bunch of cheap conflict. Yeah, and they were like, decision, let's hit all decisions. these zombie tension points. Right. If you are a zombie fan, if you watch a lot of zombie movies, we are casual zombie fans. I think that's fair to say. Yeah. This would have been like, oh, yeah, okay, good. This is the part where they're getting chased by the fast zombies. This is the part where, ooh, they're in an enclosed space and they have to run away. These are all the tropes you're looking for anyway. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's just for me, I wanted the, I wanted everything consistent. It was the same exact criticism, exact actually, that I had with everything everywhere all at once. Is once I'm in, once I'm settled into the tension or the um. I want it to feel consistent. If we do ramp up, I want that to be slow. I want that to be like, I don't want to be waiting every time he lands in a plane for the time to tick by for the zombies to come in and chase him around and we get a little more action. Right. Or like fast changes in tension should have an emotional connection, right. not just a like scared of monster runaway tension. Right. Like at the beginning with his family. That part was fine. The part where all of a sudden 
He needs to run away. He's stuck in this traffic jam. Things are exploding. Zombies are pouring over the cars. Shit, we got to get going. That's, I get that. That was like, okay, I'm trying to save my family. And later it's, he's still trying to save his family because he knows if he dies, they're going to kick him off the boat. But at the same time, it was too much. It was like, okay, we're settled into mystery and then bam, zombies. We're okay. We're settled into conversation. Bam, zombies. My 20 minute rule for this movie. So that brings us to why we decided to compare this with Shaun of the Dead. And that's because to me, Shaun of the Dead takes a lot of what I like about zombie movies and a lot of what lots of people like about zombie movies and folds it into what feels like a very consistent movie. And this is a narratively and emotionally very consistent. Right. And I feel like this falls firmly into the category of unintelligent but entertaining which also makes it a good contrast. Yeah. It's okay, but you have to pick one. I mean, you, you, or you have to work them together in a way that makes sense. Don't have an intelligent character act foolishly just to move the plot forward. That's my main oh, criticism and with... when the, the foolish character makes a foolish decision, they don't get out of it. Right. Yeah. Right. Like in Interstellar, that's my main criticism with Interstellar, is we get all the way through the movie, we get to that part where they all should have known the consequences of visiting this this one planet that's super close to the black hole, and we don't even consider it. Right. The only reason we don't go to the planet that is actually the viable planet is because Matthew McConaughey's character knows that the chick he digs, digs the dude who's on that planet. Right. His, his bullshit radar is going off because... She's hiding her emotional connection. Yeah. Right? And so he's he's like, oh, my bullshit meter's going off. You are untrustworthy. Right. But it's anyway, we'll, we'll get anyway, to, we will get to Interstellar and that will be a really good conversation because we both have different views of that movie. And for once, we don't agree <laughs> on a movie. Um, but like Ed's character in Shaun of the Dead. So Ed is played by Nick Frost. He's the the bum roommate who moves in and never Mm -hmm. moves out. And his character is a perfect example of a fool that works in a movie because we, he actually gets more emotional depth than Jerry ever gets in the entirety of world war Z because we start out with just, he's the dude on the couch. Right. But I would say the, the contrast between Ed and Ed making foolish decisions in Shaun of the Dead and characters in World War Z making foolish decisions is that the characters in World War Z that are making foolish decisions are otherwise portrayed as intelligent, intelligent characters. Yeah. Clever characters. Right. They're inconsistent. They're right. an unreliable. They're only narrator. making foolish decisions for the sake of triggering a crisis. Right. Whereas every decision that Sean and Ed make feel like a natural outgrowth of what their character would do. Yes. And then we are just following these characters through a series of entertaining hijinks involving zombies, but it all feels exactly like what you think Sean and Ed would do. And we don't have a ton of setup. The setup for Sean and Ed is very short. 
but it is so concise and so well done that by the time we get to the scene where Sean is repeating the same actions he does on the first day. So the first day he gets up, we get the super long shot where he crosses. He I love long shots. Yeah. So he opens the garden gate and that kid kicks a soccer ball at him and he goes, you're dead. Yeah. Yeah. And then we keep going. We, you know, we go into the shop, we pick up a drink, we pay, we get a, a paper and then we leave. And right. then we repeat His routine. that. We repeat that. And this is the pivot point for the movie because we've been seeing some hints that zombies are coming through the whole first section, which are all super well done. Super, like, I like how we establish Sean as the type of character that is going to ignore these things. Right. Because he's he's tired, he's hungover, and he's just, he's going through the, like, the same ritual that he does every morning. Yeah. And so because it's a ritual, because it's just his regular routine. Right. It, he's on autopilot. Yeah. So and he doesn't absorb in any anything new that's going on. Right. And because of all the tiny breadcrumbs we got in the first introductory scene, we don't. I'm not angry when he doesn't see the bloody handprint on the drink container or when he noticed he doesn't notice that the the shopkeeper isn't there or that the homeless, the unhoused fellow who tries to get change every morning, he walks up to him as a zombie holding an empty leash. And Sean's like, I don't have any fucking change today. And just keeps walking. And you believe it. You believe it completely. And it's entertaining. And it's funny. And you're not frustrated about it. Because that's what you expected. It's consistent. He's a consistent narrator. He's a consistent point of view character. And the tension is consistent throughout the entire movie. And that's what makes it entertaining. At no point are you like, no, 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 don't do that. Oh, my God. Fucking why? Sometimes yeah, we'll like have to do narr- it. Narratively, Shaun of the Dead is a masterpiece. Yes. Yeah. Because it, it reminds me a little bit of the fifth element where there's not a wasted moment. There is right. no wasted moment. And, and so there's you get- so much... Uh, foreshadowing right and you get what feels like on the surface level Shaun of the dead feels like one of those like dumb buddy comedies which it is which it is but it's also an intelligent take on the dumb buddy comedy which i think is simon Pegg's brand more or less simon Pegg and nick frost is kind of their thing but it's also self-aware of the material that it's referencing i would say the the movie is self-aware, but the characters are not. Right. Then, yes, exactly. And apparently um, Romero, the guy who actually directed Dawn of the Dead, saw it and he was like, yeah, this is one of the best zombie movies ever made. <laughs> <laughs> but they use a quote from one of his movies, though, we're coming to get you, Barbara. And he he didn't even recognize it from his own movie. Oh, he didn't? Yeah, but nice. I love... I. I thought it was important to contrast these two because it really highlights what you can do entertainment wise with by creating consistent character and consistent tension. That is really, to me, the hallmark of a well-written movie is at no point do I think that this movie is under unentertaining. So I don't feel the need to throw in cheap tension for absolutely no purpose. I know I, I, I trust my audience I trust my audience will be able to keep up and will be able to stay I was going in to this. use that exact phrase. Yeah. That Shaun of the Dead trusts its viewers to keep up and yeah. make the connections. Whereas World War Z 
it's kind of like, um, our viewers are probably getting bored. It's been 15 minutes since they escaped from the zombies last time. Uh, I think we need another like zombie escape chase thing. Yeah. Yeah. That'll be good. And it'll really, keep them engaged. I mean, they're both bystander. They're both bystander action movies. They're both bystander zombie movies because yeah. Jerry really is effectively a bystander. He's not fighting the zombies. He's not trying to fight the zombies. He's not in the military. He's not on the boat creating strategy. He's just going around and asking questions. And Sean is very much the same, where Sean of the Dead is a bystander action movie, where we're not seeing anything from the perspective of the military. We never even know how the outbreak happens. We don't know if it's happening worldwide. We don't know what the government or military are doing. Like, yeah. what's their strategy to handle the problem right we're always just from the perspective of these characters yeah we and it makes a lot of sense and it's enjoyable because that is what the character would care about yeah we don't know those things because the character doesn't know because the character doesn't care but in world war z i'm trying to think of how to articulate this it feels like the character doesn't care about things that they should care about only because they want to keep that obfuscated from the viewer. Right. They don't trust the viewer to stay in the movie if they give them answers. Right. If we explain things too much, yeah. then, then the viewers are going to get bored. Yeah. And probably one of the things that grinds my gears more than anything is when you give me enough evidence as a viewer to figure something out but you don't allow the character to figure it out with me. Right. And we do that in World War Z. Right. That's an important aspect. And the, the timing of that, the viewer should figure it out just a few minutes before the main character or at the same time. Yes. Yeah, because I don't want to feel smarter than the main character. Unless you're intentionally doing that, like in Shaun of right. the Dead. And the growth of those characters is great. They grow exactly how I want them to grow. If we had started out as two dead-end dudes who are each holding each other back in different ways, and we had ended it as two dead-end dudes who are each holding each other back in different ways, I would not care for this movie. But every time the characters go through a period of tension, we come out slightly different and slightly elevated. So as soon as, as, soon as we have that moment in the car where um, Sean is talking to his not dad, <laughs> not my dad, and he tells him, you know, I, I, I always thought you just needed a strong role, male role model, and I had hoped I could be that for you. And I'm sorry I wasn't, but I, I did love you. And then he dies. And he's trying to get Ed to hear him and to, to recognize that something terrible has just happened. And Ed's like, ah, chill out. Right. And yeah, that, that contrast of from Sean's experience, he has had this profound personal experience. like revelation. Yeah. He just found out something about this guy that he's been um, basically a jerk bitter. to. Yeah, bitter with, about. Uh, resentful yeah. towards. For 17 years. 
And then he finds out, oh, shit, he was actually trying to just, he was doing his best to be a good dad the whole time. Yeah. What? Oh, my, that changes everything. And then he dies. And he's like, guys, guys, like, oh, I can't even, like, yeah. explain this. But now this person that I've been, you know, dismissive of at a profound level this entire time now is like really dear to me. Yeah. Uh, and then they died and I can't communicate that. And well, I need someone else to like uh, notice. He's trying to get Ed to just pull over and Ed's like, well, it's fine. Chill out, dude. And so this dynamic, which up until now had worked, had, had been right. their dynamic now feels outmoded. Now it feels outdated. It feels right. like Sean has grown and Ed has yet to grow. And so... And so the tension is the difference in their personal growth. Right. And it feels natural. It feels like exactly what would happen in that situation, which is we've gone from seeing Ed as the funny, the funny, oops, I wrecked that car just so I could drive the Jaguar character to he is endangering all of them. With his lax attitude. Right. And the fact that they are allowing him to control the situation is putting everyone in danger. Right. By chance, his laissez-faire way of dealing with problems uh, has not killed them yet. But now the situation's changed and he's actively endangering everyone by um, procrastinating. Right. And this is a, we get a similar tension, right? Because, oh my God, now the dad's in the car and he's a zombie and we're all stuck in the car with him. And then we get out, we're surrounded by zombies. Shit, what are we going to do? But it doesn't feel like flicking an on and off switch like it does in World War Z. Because we've taken time to actually create characters. Yeah. And we are not so much being pushed through the plot by tropes. We're being pushed through the plot by the characters. Which is why that always makes for a better movie. Because we want... It makes for a better story in any medium. Yeah, because especially, I don't know if everybody's this way, but you and I like to connect to the character. We're in the movie for the characters. We will put up with a lot of plot shit if we love the characters. And if I don't love the character, I don't... I will not put up with the same amount of shit. And so by the time we get to the Winchester and... We get that moment where Sean leads all the zombies away so that everyone else can get in and be safe. It starts to feel like a different movie. We go from the comedy, witty moments at the beginning to, oh, Sean has actually outgrown Ed now. Yep. And when he comes back and they have that moment where Ed gives him a pint and they wink at each other. Like, because he says, oh, is your boyfriend going to get you something to drink? And he's like, he's not my boyfriend. And then he goes, thanks, babe. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of a believable bromance moment where you realize that even though they have now changed as people, that doesn't mean they can't relate anymore. And that's super important because later when Ed gets bitten and we're down in the basement and Ed is going to be turning into a zombie because... He's been bitten. Right. And now, he's kind of pouring his heart out. And then he says, I'm sorry, Sean. And he's like, no, there's nothing to be sorry about. No, 
I'm sorry, Sean. <laughs> oh my God. I know. And he delivers the same line. I'll quit doing it when you stop laughing. Right. And, and then like, oh, right before he dies. Right. And if we had not had that simple moment of reconciliation, that simple and it's just regrounding moment, their relationship, regrounding moment of their relationship. This doesn't have the same emotional impact. You're sad that these two dudes are now going to be like Ed's dying. Right. These two like immature, like failure to launch dudes who make fart jokes. Now you're like tearing up. Yeah. Because the, at a fart is joke. At you're a tearing fart joke. up at a fart joke. So Shaun of the Dead can make me cry. Masterpiece. Over, <laughs> masterpiece. If you can make me cry over a <laughs> fart joke. Masterpiece. Whereas at the end of World War Z, when we get to that montage, that's like, I've saved the human race by infecting them all with, with smallpox or something. Meningitis, yeah. <laughs> um, I don't care. I just, you know, even when he reunites with his family. Um, okay, that's all right. It was okay. I mean, I, I think we should just clear the air about World War Z. It was fine. I think if I didn't love the movie as much, I think if I didn't love the book as much as I loved yes. the book. Maybe if they, if they... The movie, to me, feels like a cash grab on the World War Z book success. Yes. Right? When really, fundamentally, it is a completely different story, except for the, the, store, the, the little skit about the Tenth Man. Yeah. That's the one of the only things that is a really strong connection back to the book. If they had made a movie, if they had made this movie under a different title, yeah, it may have been less successful because it, it wouldn't have been able to carry on the momentum of the success of the book. Well, I'm not But yeah. as a standalone movie, it has a lot of good aspects. Yeah. Like... And the fast zombies, they are a good like. Oh yeah, it's a good. They're an interesting yeah. take on the zombies, right? You get a lot more action. It's a lot more exciting. The whole thing with the zombies are acting as hunters. Yeah. Looking for healthy hosts, and that becomes something you can take advantage of by making everybody sick so the zombies ignore them. That was a very novel, very interesting uh, plot mechanic. Yeah. I really liked that. If you put that in a movie where people are making smart decisions. <laughs> <laughs> I think our really, our, really our only criticism but, is like, he doesn't explain anything to Terry. Right. A lack and of communication. If I, you look at it okay. from the lens of we Let, were doing a quick reshoot, like a seven week reshoot, we may have been done with the boat set. We may not have been able to go back to the boat set. That's a good so point. So we could we could uh, have had a situation where we can't redo that particular um, I wanted like to paraphrase our our criticism is it's not it's not even so much that people are making foolish decisions, but like you say in, um, like why K dramas are so good, yeah, is almost or I guess like even in K drama, like just dramatic stories. Yes. Neither of us like when the K 
conflict, the only reason that the conflict is generated is because someone's not communicating. Yes. Yeah. I don't want that kind of cheap tension. And I think we've grown past it. I think we've grown past it as viewers. Um, that was okay when I was watching, you know, we watch Forever Night, obviously, for Come In 81 Kilo. And sometimes that happens, but it was the 90s. It was a serialized drama. They had to create 24 episodes every year. There's only so much plot you can mine because they're not going to be, con they can't be connected. Every single episode has to be a little 48 minute vignette. Right. That you're likely never going to reference again. Well, and there's. Because of his secret identity. Yeah. Right? He, there is a reason he For doesn't communicate right. certain things. I, I'm just using the example of it It has its place. The Right. Culturally, culturally the media it has its place. Is a, ha, evolves over time. Right. Yeah. But we've we've evolved. It's like the romance. They always break up in the third act. As soon as they get together and you know they're going to be together... What okay? What something stupid, happens? What stupid thing is going to happen that they break up and then they have to get back together? Because finally, because well, one of their best friends was like, "Oh, you know that wasn't actually her, right? That was just a rumor." Oh my god, it really wasn't her. And then you or seventy five percent of the time, it's I got into a relationship with you for this reason to get something out of it. Yeah. Uh, and then I but then I actually fell, fell in love with you. <laughs> I mean, there's a place yeah. for consistency. There's a place for that. I mean, I'm, I, I can't say anything negative, too negative about that because I do like a predictable plot when I'm not in the mood to be surprised. Yeah. There are times when I just want to, I know where this roller coaster is going. It's the same roller coaster I've ridden at every single theme park I've ever been to. I just, I want one I know I'm going to love. And so I'm going to pick this up because I know I'm going to love it. And there's a place for that. But I also like to be surprised. And I think in some places we're starting to see that. I mean, Shaun the Dead's actually far older. I think it's 2004. Yeah, Shaun of the Dead is 2004. And then you get World War Z, which I do believe was published in 2006. And then World War Z, the movie was made and released. It was actually made to be released in 2012. And it ended up being released in 2013 because they had to redo the ending. So we kind of, you know, you have these two properties, World War Z, the book and Shaun of the Dead, which are taking the zombie trope and making it something new, giving us something different, giving us the same zombies that we like to watch and we like to experience, but also giving it in a context that we, was surprising and new. And then to have, then World War Z ends up feeling like a throwback. It feels like we didn't trust the process. We didn't allow the the medium to grow in the way it was growing. Does that make sense? You know, like in the vampire genre, we have a lot of Dracula. And over time, Dracula has gone from uh, capes and castles. And, and then we've gone to like, more romance vampires. And I think we're right at the point where people are ready for the next step. Everybody's ready for the next step. And of course, this is a 10-year-old movie. World War Z is a 10-year-old movie. So where are we going with zombies now? We like, well, we got warm bodies, which of course we... Oh, yeah. Love warm bodies. Love warm bodies. And then we had the whole Walking Dead, which is less about zombies at this point and more just about post-apocalyptic world. Which, of course, I have not watched because 
It's another dick dudes in a post-apocalyptic setting being dicks. So. With guns. With guns. Yeah. I think I just want to be surprised. I think I think as a, I think that it would be okay for studios to trust us to be surprised. You have our permission. You have our permission and our encouragement to try something new and different. Surprise me. Throw something new at me. And if it doesn't stick, fine, but if it does, great. We're pushing the medium forward. That's what we want. Of course, we can't do that right now because literally everyone is on strike. Although Matt was reading something about how there uh, there's a push to um, devote their time to indie projects because yeah. a lot of indie projects are not they're not with the guilds they're not with the unions so they can do that without supporting the people they're striking against right it would they not can, be crossing they the can invest line. in a bunch of indie projects yeah and then when those indie projects are successful that's kind of an argument hey look we're the ones generating the value here yeah i'm fucking for it too let's do it yep let's do so, it so I'm looking forward to, in like two to three years, just a wave of amazing, revolutionary indie content coming out. Yeah, I think that'd be fucking amazing, especially because it feels like we are in quite a rut. And you know why? It's because I was trying to explain this to somebody, I think yesterday, I was like, because we've reached saturation point. There's literally only so much content I can even absorb the knowledge of. And now there's 15 different streaming services all churning out content. And I just don't, at a point, you, certain point, you're like, I don't fucking care. I'm just going to shut that off. I don't care. Yeah, I'm, I had kept up with the Marvel movies up until Endgame. Yeah. But then all the, all the extra content now, yeah. like, it's just too much. I can't keep up with it. There's just so much of it. Well, I kept up until, and, what was that television show? Agents of Shield. Agents of Shield. Yeah, I didn't even. I think I watched most of season one. Yeah. Now but you I didn't want me to keep it. up with a TV show that also relates to the movies? Oh my god! I can see a movie a year. That's fine, but I can't do all. That's too much. I can't. And no, no shade on people who can. I'm, I'm really happy for you. I mean, if it was about vampires, I probably would keep up. I'll be, I'll be, I'll be honest. But I'm just not like superheroes. Don't. Do it for me, if you know what I mean. But that, and that's fine. That's fine. It doesn't it doesn't have to be the same experience for absolutely everybody? But uh, you know, I was reading an interesting thing about why CG has gone down. Like, because I think we mentioned it oh, yeah. in our last episode I, where we I talked saw an about, episode of season three of The Witcher. Yeah, and Geralt's fighting this like monster made out of accumulated limbs of people, whatever, yeah. and the CG was bad bad like bad i was like i don't even want to watch season three of the witcher now like i when when did i get into the witcher um i guess i got the game yeah i got witcher three and then and i really enjoyed that or maybe maybe it was when i saw the TV show was getting made. Yeah, because we like Henry and so Cavill. So we I went his... and read all of the books. Yeah. And I played the game and I watched the show and it was all amazing. And the production value of season one was so high. Yeah. And the the acting quality was so high. And I loved it. I'm like I'm a huge Witcher fan now. And then season two came out and season two was 
good. Okay. Not as good as it wasn't as yeah groundbreaking as season one felt yeah. like. Uh, but then, like now, season three, it's like just it. hearing about the drama with Henry Cavill and and then seeing what the CG looks like on season three. Yeah, it's like, ugh. but and I think the reason yeah CG has been dropping in quality yeah is because the studios are they're a business machine yeah. pumping out quantity of content well they make more money on 20 mediocre produced television shows than they do on one stellar craftsman television show right so they can churn out 20 seasons of something drop right. them and all on streaming it's about it's about the these cg shops delivering a product on time is way more important yeah. than delivering a product of high quality. Yes. And so, like, I just watched Jurassic Park with the kids. And I think we talked about this in our last episode was the CG in Jurassic Park is now 30 years old. 1993. Yep. yep. Yeah. And it is still fucking it phenomenal. The nominal because it was a passion project because it was a passion project because it was a it was like we just watched robocop here's another good example and we we loved the little like droid the, guy right because the stop I'm, motion droid yeah. i know he was handmade i don't even care that it looks like stop motion because there is a whole there is a whole skill set to creating that stop motion figure and making it articulated and making it look real enough on screen. And detailed. And you know this thing's a miniature. So yeah. someone had to be like with a microscope or a magnifying glass. Right. Yeah. You know, doing all the detail work yeah. on this miniature. And that is the special effect. Right. Or Gollum in The Lord of the Rings where they were literally inventing subsurface scattering to create his skin. Yeah. And... There is something to be said about that. We are pushing. We are pushing. We are not just putting water in a cup, right? We're creating the cup. We're creating the liquid. We're putting them together and we're seeing who likes it. As opposed to just, well, people like monster movies with hot dudes in them. So I think we're going to make a bunch of hot dude monster movies and just throw them out at people. And that's... Uh, okay, I like hot dudes. I like monsters. It's fine. You can put them together for me. But I was thinking about this again. Think, I think a lot. So I, when I say I was thinking about this, I'm not lying. I was thinking about this the other day about the nostalgia grab, the way everything now feels like a nostalgia grab. Everything feels like a nostalgia grab, like the end of The Flash, which I only watched the end of The Flash. So I didn't watch the whole thing. Well, we were where, at a drive-in theater that has two screens. Right. Well, they had this and, scene where it's like the multiverse and we were throwing out Christopher Reeve's Superman. We were throwing out, you know, these superheroes that really like I know them because I watched those movies growing up, but they're almost too old for me. I was watching old movies when I was young, and that's where these characters were from. And then I was watching Jurassic Park with the kids, and I was remembering the first time you watched Jurassic Park and that scene where they're on the helicopter and they're flying at the island, and we get that huge swell of music. 
Yeah. And how just like, oh my God, this is going to be so fucking good. You were, as soon as you, like that, you know, we used to live and die by the soundtrack of movies. The Gladiator soundtrack, the Jurassic Park soundtrack. I could put those on and I was immediately back in that feeling of awe, of awe over what, and then, then you saw the CG dinosaurs. This is not a stop motion dinosaur. This is a CG dinosaur. This had never been done before. This was something that you were like, oh my God, like the scene where they get chased by the Tyrannosaurus Rex. And especially the scene in the kitchen with the raptors. Oh, yeah. That was, as a child, you were so in it. Terrified. Terrified. And they felt new. They felt like something you had never seen before. And you had this just like overwhelming sense of awe at experiencing something you would never experience for the first time again. And I think what's happened with movies now is we're playing it so safe. Every movie feels like a photocopy. Every movie right now is multiverse. Spider-Man in the multiverse. Flash in the multiverse. This guy in the, you know, Doctor Strange in the multiverse. Everything's multiverse. Okay, so they're literally photocopies of each other. And the only way to try to artificially inject the spice, artificially inject that sense of awe, is to borrow it. Is to throw in something nostalgia. Like, um... Right. Michael it's, Keaton's Batman. It's borrowing the impact from the older, better executed We versions. even did that with the newer Jurassic Park epi- movie where we brought back all the old actors. Right. Because oh somehow God. putting them in this movie was going to make it the same quality movie that the right. first it's, one was. It's like, oh, th- that movie was really good. Um, uh, it had those three actors in it. That must be what made it really good. So if we get these three actors, and then plonk them in there, plonk them in here, this will be good. And yeah, this, so, uh, this reminds me of um, existential modal confusion. Yes, where you get confused between the being mode and the having mode. Yes, yes. I want to be an adult, so I need to have the things adults have, like a car and a long-term relationship. And a job. And so I get all of these things and I get the house and I have the clothes and I have the big TV and then I am being successful with my life. Yeah. Right. And you don't feel fulfilled because your, your existence is confused between associating having a set of things with being something right and it feels like that's what they're doing with the movies yeah they're confused about what a movie has to be or what what causes a movie to be successful yeah it's it isn't successful because it has these things it's because it happened in a certain way it was yeah. created in a certain yes. way yeah yeah um and so that was my big revelation this week was we are missing that sense of wonder that sense of i'm going to go to the theater and see something 
I have never seen before. And I think we have lost trust. Like I know the Barbie movie is probably going to be cool and revolutionary and new. And maybe Oppenheimer will too. But I'm not seeing it on opening weekend because I don't trust it. I don't trust that they aren't going to try to cash in on some moment in my childhood that I feel I feel longing for in order to get me to connect it to the movie and love the movie. Or we talked about this with Eric from Cradle to the Grave podcast. Mm -hmm. About he said he used to watch movies and he would watch it over and over and over and over and over again. And now newer movies you watch them once and you're like, well that was good. And you don't really feel the same drive to watch it again. And I think it's the same thing. There's no wonder to recapture. It's like reading a book that you got in the grocery store. You're, you remember they used to sell scholastic books in, you know, when you were checking out. It would be like candy yep. and then Babysitter's the Club. The monthly scholastic book The monthly book scholastic release. book release, yeah. And it was like, they were good, but, you know, they were like a candy bar. You ate them and then you were done. Did you reread them? Unless they were Animorphs, no. So I think that's what it feels like now is we are being sold a product. Like movies have become a product we are being sold. They're not an art form. They're a commodity. Right. Like uh, who is it who just turned down the opportunity to do another superhero movie? I think it was Christopher Nolan. Christopher Nolan was yeah, like, Christopher no. Christopher Nolan was like, no, because no, I don't have any artistic freedom. Yeah. He was like, no, because you have sacrificed the idea that these are an audiovisual art. That movies are a audiovisual art form right. yeah. created to take the viewer through a journey and not purely for profit and plot. Right. Like Fair. when when you invest in me making a movie, you are investing in the creation of a piece of art. Not like it there's a difference between saying, okay, you artist make a piece of art. Yeah. That's your art and going to an artist and saying, hey, I would like you to I would like to commission you to make this. Those are two slightly different things. Yes. Because one, the artist has all the freedom to do their own self-directed, personally motivated art. And the other one is you actually have input on what they produce yeah and one of those things is going to be more captivating and engaging and feel more real right. than the other right because i don't like being sold i don't like being sold a product I, I like to be tempted into an experience that's perfectly fine but i don't want to feel like you are trying to hack the algorithm to get me i, I don't like that my bullshit radar goes off all over the place. I don't enjoy it. And I wish, I'm hoping maybe if we are rewarding writers in the way they need to be rewarded, and if we are rewarding actors in the way they need to be rewarded, we'll get back to that. It will feel less like they are being exploited to create a commodity to generate more money for the studios, which generates more money for the studio CEOs. Right. And I think that's probably a good place to end it. See, you were worried we weren't going to talk for an hour. Yeah, I, I was a little concerned you when were like, we were, we're like 15 gonna... <laughs> minutes in and we kind of hashed out a I bunch of stuff with World get... War Z. I and knew we'd get going. It, 
it was very insightful uh, and um, you got to talk about what, you got to talk about modal confusion always a good day but what's the uh, you had the foresight to anticipate the situation where we kind of sputtered out complaining about World War Z and so decided to watch another yes. good zombie movie. Well, it was that a, was a very yes, good choice. Like RoboCop. When we watched just RoboCop, I was like, we're not going to get an hour out of this because it's just going to be you and I going, oh, that right, was the, shit. Yeah, the 2014 RoboCop. Yeah, the 2014 one. That's good. I think that the versus is kind of fun. Maybe we'll keep this format for a little while or we'll do it anytime I feel like. I don't want to just complain about a movie. Because there's usually something good to find. And I know that there's a lot of people who enjoyed World War Z, and that's perfectly fine. I want to talk about why the movie wasn't enjoyable. Or maybe what a, a better a, a movie we enjoyed better looked like. Right. And, and as... Instead of just complaining about it and making... Like, speculating on what they could have done to make the movie better... We say, not only do we have ideas about how the movie could have been executed better. Yeah. Here is a specific example of how it was done better to prove that it can, can be. be done better. Yeah. 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 Constructive yeah, I, I, criticism. Yes. Yes. All right. Well, we were going to end it and then we talked for another two minutes. So. So remember, sometimes the... Strangest things are the most beautiful, too. So be who you are and love what you love, even if it's World War Z. Until next time, friends. Bye. Bye.